You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, friends, today we're going to talk a little bit about what closing in today's environment looks like. Yes, Quattro Capital always gets it done, but you know, some folks are not so lucky. There are some times where you need to know when to back up from a deal, and there are times when you need to press through and you need to just figure it out. You know, this story we're going to go through is one of those times. The asset was great. The fundamentals are great. And we just had to figure out how to navigate a changing debt market. So without further ado, we're going to get into that story, hopefully provide some nuggets for you and your investing career or your operating career. And as a reminder, if you get any value out of the show, please leave us that five-star review and thoughtful comment. Those are the main way we grow the show when you speak that you appreciate what we're putting out. So thank you for that in advance. You can also follow us at our parent company, Quattro Capital, on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Team Quattro Capital, one word, no special characters, or by visiting us at thequattroway.com. And we really appreciate all of you. So love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, requests, content requests, things of that sort, podcast at thequattroway.com. Love to hear from you. And if you want to apply to be on the show, thequattroway.com slash podcast. And now on to your scheduled production. All right, all right, all right. Real Estate Runway family, happy new year as of this recording. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast, Quattro Roundtable Edition. I'm joined today with my lovely partners, Aaron, Kim, and Tammy here at the Quattro team. We miss you, Mo. I know you're having a good time with your family this week, so we'll well, you'll be in here in spirit. But today, really want to tee up a roundtable conversation around today's lending environment. You know, a lot of people post deals that are being closed and and raw, raw, awesome stories on Instagram and LinkedIn. But I love to open up the hood, pull back the curtain a little bit, and let's just talk a little bit about some of the challenges that exist in today's lending market and how fast those things have changed and what parallels we can draw to you know, the environment we experienced as recent as 2020. So without further ado, let's get right into the conversation. Welcome to the show, ladies. How are y'all doing today? So good. We're excited to be on here today and talk about a recent close in this crazy wild market that we're in right now. Yeah. So maybe to lead it off, Kim, if you don't mind kind of dropping some nuggets here, because, you know, we, we lived in the recent seizing up of the debt market in 2020. You know, in your view, what similarities can we take from what happened in the COVID-related debt seizure of the market as to what we're seeing today? And is it the same? Is it different? Hey, Kim, You're we lost mute. your mic. There we go. Cut that out, boys, and proceed with answer. Chad, you're so right. That is absolutely the key, is to understand the cycles in the debt market, because the, the debt market has cycles, too. I like to call those cycles drama, because... <laughs> If you look at the last three years, in 2019, 2020, 21, and 22, we have had debt drama. The first, it began in 2019 when Fannie and Freddie literally ran out of money and nobody could get an agency loan in the fourth quarter of the year. They kind of cut their rate by a quarter of a point when they came back online, kind of as an apology to everyone, (laughs) but... That was a big part of why we had to close a project in January instead of November. So there's there's debt drama all the time. 2020 was an opportunity for the world 
to understand how the debt market worked. And if you were trying to close a project in March of 2020, you know exactly what we're talking about. But if you didn't, let me share. Here's how it went, because it was all of a sudden the entire thing seized up in literally 30 days. So we had a we had a loan. We were due to close on March 16th, both the debt market and the bond market fall. All of a sudden, the lenders who are lending on debt can't lend anymore. And from that point forward, the lights start going out in every type of lenders group. When they were coming back online, which happened later in the third quarter, when they were coming back online, you saw them come back online in a particular pattern. We saw the pattern. We learned to play in that world of 2020. 2022, we're going to flash forward for time's sake. 2022 was the exact same pattern, but instead of happening in weeks, it's taken about a month and a half to two months, but it's the exact same pattern. And because we lived through the crucible of 2020, we knew how the playbook had to flow and the chaos that was coming in all of these sudden rate changes. So I'll turn it back to you and Aaron and Tammy, because I know you guys have just lived the most recent close. Yeah, I think where I'd love to take it next, if you don't mind, is I'd love to take it over to to Aaron and let's really a lot of operators and investors who invest with operators are listening to the show right now can you talk a little bit about you know the resolve the mindset and the can do attitude just the innovative attitude you really have to have you know as as opposed to woe is me things are changing under my feet what do i do in order to survive in a, in you know a changing debt market sure no that's great chad i think for us, we had we have a handful of investors we've been working with for quite some time. And for a market like this and all of a sudden debt terms changing, you really have to have really strong relationships working with people that know you, like you, and trust you. And at the end of the day, when you have an investors that are coming back to you time and time again to invest in a particular deal, they know, or I should say, our investors know that we truly have their best interest. So we're not going to move forward on something that doesn't make sense, that's going to put them in a vulnerable position. And at the end of the day, Quattro Capital truly is a team that is really going to take care of their investors and do what's right. If it means that we have to take the risk and the hit if something falls out, I can assure you Quattro Capital will do just that. So it's been an interesting one for sure, but thank goodness that we have wonderful investors that have linked arms with us and they know what we're capable of and what we will and will not do. So I guess that's how I would sum it up with our investors. It's a pleasure to work with them. I love that. And, you know, to, to kind of take it back a little bit, and Tammy, I want to come to you here in just a second about the deal we've just been through, you yeah, know, great. one of our recent acquisitions with, you know, in a more rapidly changing debt environment that we've, I think, experienced in our lifetimes, but, or at least our real estate lifetimes. Thinking back through what we've experienced over the last couple of years in these different debt cycles, you know, there's always one thing in common, and it is, okay, the sand shifted under my feet. A, do I still like the deal? B, how do I repair the deal? And C, what has to change? You know, so in in years past, I think what we've been able to do is is you know it's been 
changing slow enough that we're able to pivot to another lender and find comparable, if not better terms, perhaps renegotiate the price a little bit because if the cost of capital changes, you know, everything is now fluid in the deal. So you have to be willing to take that negotiation hit. But, you know, in a time where and here in 2022, things changed so rapidly. And then just to give context to the listeners, we talk, we've talk we talked a lot about inflation and interest rates and the Fed on this show. So I won't, I won't belabor that here. Listen to recent episodes for that context. But we have literally gone from effectively a Fed funds rate of zero to a Fed funds rate of three and four percent in a matter of months. And we have not moved that fast for context since the 80s. When, you know, back in the in the previous years of, of the Federal Reserve, when we had, you know, to, to combat inflation in, in years past. So it's and for context, if you look at the rate chart, we're just going back effectively to where we were back in 2019. We dipped to zero when that what that global event called a pandemic happened. And we are we just very rapidly came back up. But what what happens? It takes nearly 90 to 120 days to complete a real estate transaction at some of the levels that we're playing. And so you go put something under contract, you execute on a loan, you spend about 60 days with them, you know, underwriting and evaluating and going through due diligence. And if every 30 days of that 120 days, the rates move 75 basis points, you are now 3% different than when you started. And right. so it's a highly volatile environment. So just kind of reiterating the context here, Tammy, maybe over to you a little bit. You know, we just closed a large transaction. It was our second large transaction in this environment, so we could really pull from either one. But what are some of the keys to success that you saw along the way as we had to, you know, pivot, reevaluate, and, and you know, continue to make sure this was the right move? Well, the one thing that was coming to mind a minute ago when Erin was talking about what she was is the fact that it was very important for us to had the ability to take a different play out of the playbook. You know, we could not sit there with our business plan and just keep it concrete through a whole deal when things like term sheets are becoming fluid documents. You know, that that was one thing that you know, I was like, wait a minute, I thought what was in the term sheet, you know, here we are having to pivot and adjust as, you know, as the offense was pivoting and adjusting. But what was more important to us as Quattro was that we didn't compromise our core values and our principles and, you know, keeping the investors as the utmost priority, you know, and make how many times I can't even tell you how many times we all went back to the deal to make sure this thing still worked and we were still good with what we had. And we were still right. And the fact that, you know, we ended up with a better deal at the end than what we even did in the beginning, it was, you know, Wow, <laughs> that was pretty impressive. But, you know, going through two of these in 2022 with, with the sand, like you said, the sand shifting under your feet and the tide coming in quicker and all that good stuff, uh, it was just, they were important that we stayed on top of it and made sure all the puzzle pieces still fit. So, you know, that that was, and like I said, when the rules are changing, you just have to make sure you're on and stay on the offense. So defense, whichever, I'm not a sports player, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well said, Tammy. Yeah, and I think what's important, you know, is to remember, you know, everyone of the listeners here knows I have ridiculous analogies, so here comes another one, right? A, a deal that is being acquired is like a Mr. Potato Head that is made of Play-Doh, right? 
until it is purchased, you can literally pull the nose off, stick it in the ear socket, mold it to a skinny potato or a fat potato. Like you can do all sorts of things with this Play-Doh until the Play-Doh hearts, right? Don't laugh too hard, team. But my, my point in saying that is nothing is fixed on the deal. With, so if the sand starts shifting under your feet, you have to realize that if the debt market is shifting that quickly, the condition of how much of a seller's or buyer's market is is at present is also shifting. And so what you have to remember is, you know, you can still go back and in times like these, it is permissible and understandable. I mean, nobody likes the conversation, but it's a real conversation. You may have to renegotiate price. And ultimately, the only way we bought the deals that we did this year was we had to renegotiate price because our cost of capital went up. And so that wound up making it, you know, still a good deal. And then we were able to further optimize, you know, our debt structure. It makes you get a little more creative with your CapEx budgets and kind of dial in a little a little more scope up front and make sure you really understand what money you're putting in and what it's going to yield, you know, but overall we have to remember the horizon. We're investing for the horizon, the five to 10 year horizon. We're not investing for something that's going to yield, you know, a a ultimate profit and sale in a year. And so realizing that I'd love to hear y'all's take on this, you know, after I get off my soapbox, go ahead, Kim, I see you jumping in there. Uh, The point you're making is so good. I just want to stack on a concept, right? When you're talking about going back to sellers and renegotiating, like that has never been in the Quattro playbook. Right. We we would <laughs> never wanted to be the retraders out there because that's that's actually poor underwriting. The difference right. in this climate though is that because the lending terms were changing so fast when the Fed changes the interest rate, that directly affects the value that can be acquired in terms of a loan. So just because the interest rate change doesn't just affect payment and the rest of it, it changes the value that can actually be created in that loan. And so, you know, be careful if, if somebody's new in the in the space, you the the principle of please don't retrade, that's bad business, still applies. But this was extreme circumstances. That's right. Oh, and before and before I leave that, Chad, would you please share with everyone the intelligent move that you and and others made when you literally went and sat down with the brokers to help them understand the impact of what was happening? Because they didn't understand, right? I do want to have that conversation. Let me quickly take Tammy's point while it's in context. Was that a stack point, Tammy, that you were jumping in with? A little bit. The one thing I wanted to reiterate is, you know, our team and the people that we choose to do deals with and things like that are the top of the the top, you know, and now more than ever, the lenders are very critical and very, you know, they always had a microscope as if they were looking at deals, but I, I kid you not, they've zoomed in even more. And literally who you are doing your deal with is probably more important than anything else because lenders are looking who they can out, who they cannot do the deal, you know, reasons to not do the deal because they have to protect themselves as well. So one thing that I felt very comfortable and prided our decision making on of who we do business with was that was never a question with our lenders. You know, everything was on the up and up. We were very forthcoming. We were very transparent. There was no skeletons, things like that. So 
that's just my little you know tip of advice is with a moving market and sand under your feet you make sure who your team is is very solid though so. that's a solid point and and so bridging into the point Kim made is is you know part of your team or the brokers you're working with whether they're representing you or they're representing the seller they are they are the glue that holds that transaction together and 100 percent of the time when we've had a transaction go south the broker being present and engaged and on both of our teams is really what happened to, to keep it together so you know, what Kim is alluding to is, you know, Quattro does not retrade. And the reason we don't do that is we put a lot of upfront work. We invest the time. We know what we're offering on. And when we put something on paper, it sticks, right? Unless, you know, a major driving force that you have taken as, a, as an assumption or even you have a tolerance band around it and you blew that tolerance band because of what actually happened in a, in a cataclysmic event, you know, that is something that we have to actually go back and say, hey, we have to reevaluate. And so how did we do that? First thing is always remember you're negotiating 100% of the time. Even if you're talking to your kids, it's always a negotiation. So have that frame of mind. (laughs) But we, in my household, that's probably the most intense negotiations that I have, but I'm neither here nor there. So (laughs) what did we do when we decided we had to make this change? We finally came and got all partner agreement and said, okay, we're going to get on a plane. We're going to go to Houston and we're going to have the conversation face to face. Right. And in doing that, a, nobody else did that. Everybody else was a phone call or they just ghosted or, you know, it was it was very impersonal, very business. We went down there with the only group that showed up with treats and said, hey, we got to talk. And so that went over very well. They expected the conversation. It was actually the day that we did it. You know, they'd had about 10 calls that morning. So they were already, they walked in the room black and blue and beaten up, right, because their pipelines were just evaporating. And first of all, we said, we're still committed to the deal. We want to do the deal. But here's what's transpired. You know, run your numbers, but I think you will agree that this is a challenge. And so it was a very collaborative situation. In this case, not every broker is very savvy in this, but these were very high-performing brokers in the state, and they knew what was going on. This was about their 10th call that, or I guess we were number 11 that day on this kind of discussion. And so we sat across the table. We looked them eye to People do business with people they like, they know, and they trust, right? If you have eye-to-eye contact and, and you're having a relationship they were they were in the boat and they wanted to, they wanted to you know for their sake and our sake they wanted to help try to make this work and so getting getting the trans, the the broker of the transaction in your camp or at least you know one foot on yours and one foot on the sellers that was the catalyst that helped us helped him go start to work on the seller and use his data and all the other experience and start to realize things have changed you know if you want to sell this transaction here's how we're going to have to do it now we have to eat equal pain on that but you know, here's how we're going to have to get it done. And ultimately, it worked out in our favor because we were able to secure substantial, like to the tune of $4 million price reductions on these deals to get them done. So, yes, I can't stress enough that relationship is key on success here. And, and Chad, I know we need to land the plane, but we're talking about <laughs> the fact that real estate is relationships, right? right? And one of the most important relationships in a crisis is the relationship with your seller. Okay. Or if you're the seller, the relationship with the buyer. Because there are times when you just have to make decisions. And I'm, I would love it if you shared with folks a little bit about your philosophy on how you, how you keep those difficult conversations moving. Yes. And, and I think that relationship was key. We didn't, sometimes you have a phone relationship. Sometimes it's email. This was email only. They didn't really like to get on the phone, which is fine. And they, and they, they read everything we sent, but they didn't always respond. So we have, we could track their red receipts. So we knew what was going on. And in most cases, they were reading our emails within 30 seconds of being sent. So we knew they were hanging on every word. 
but we you know we really had to craft every communication we had to be hyper communicative right what you don't want to do and i'm on the other side of this right now right do not want to have your buyer ghosting you and just not responding that is the worst thing you can do be open be collaborative so that you're not you know when things change you're not slamming huge change in front of your seller prep them pre-frame the issue let them know little things that are going right and so you're kind of building up to what you need to ultimately do. And so it, it got to where we were having to commun- to hyper-communicate with a daily email or a couple times a week, updating on actions, updating on wins, updating on losses to keep them in the boat. We kept them in the boat for seven months while we eventually bought one of these transactions, right? And, and that's okay, right? We had to figure the problem out. Understand that 100% of deadlines are negotiable, even contractual ones. So that that is something that if we had held to a date, we would have, you know, the deal would have fallen apart and we would have walked away, so... I want to add real quick, one more last thing. I think that as Chad is saying, it is great to make sure that there is that open communication. But even on our side, look, there's a little give and take from the seller and the buyer. But you get to a point where the seller says, this is the price we're selling it for. We're not dropping down. It takes a team, (laughs) all of us coming together and agreeing, look, this still doesn't make sense for us. And here's where we've got to get to. And so we got to a place where we took it back to the seller and we said, look, we know this is the price that you want, but here's where we need to be. And we dropped our price down and we had to call their bluff because there was no way we could move forward with that price that they left off on. So what we did is we said, look, we understand this is the price you need, but this is the price we need in order to get this deal across the finish line. We went, we sat silent. And we waited for them to make the next next chess move. We were very firm on our price. And guess what? We did not act out of desperation. We were not the one reaching out to them. We were not asking multiple questions. And finally, they came back to us and they agreed to that number that we gave that we needed to have in order to make this deal work for our investors. So negotiation skills and power are so, so very important. And... uh Anyways, I'm delighted that our team was able to take this across the finish line and have it come out with a successful purchase price and wonderful opportunity for our investors. Super exciting. There's nothing like the power of silence, Aaron. I love that. And, you know, to land the plane here, folks, I mean, we're we're talking about the right now. You know, we're talking about troubles and, and moving sand right now. The key you have to remember as a real estate investor is you're an investor of real estate, not debt. And so what you have to do is you have to make do with what you have now. You have to make the best of the situation you have now. But remember, we are buying a property with upside potential, a property that we're going to inject and make it into a better thing that it is that commands more rent, even if rent stops growing, guys and girls, even if rent stopped and went to 0% growth for the next three years, it's okay. When we What we are doing on value-add upgrades will still command a much higher rent even if rent stops growing than it does today. So the fundamentals, remember the fundamentals of the market, the fundamentals of the supply and demand in, in rental real estate are still there. And so if you're investing for the horizon, I think Marcus Milchap CEO says it's the best. I love how he says it every time is keep your eyes on the horizon, my friends, because that is what you're investing for, not the current situation today. So with that, we'll land the plane, everybody. It's been a wonderful episode. Thank you, ladies, for joining. And everyone, bye for now. All right, friends, I really hope you got a lot out of that episode. I love getting on the show and being vulnerable because you know what? It isn't all cream and cookies in the real estate world. 
that no matter how much experience you have, things will not go your way from time to time. And the answer to that question is how do you solve the problem? So hopefully that gave some nuggets on things to watch out for, maybe some ideas of how to close during an unsettling time when debt is changing under your feet, quite literally. And so with that being said, let's conclude the episode. Uh, So many bloopers today. All right, Real Estate Runway family, I really hope you enjoyed that episode. We got to go through a few nuggets about how you really pull off a closing in an environment where things are changing underneath you. We talked a little bit about, you know, negotiations and how all deadlines are fiction and can be negotiated and how you handle when the lenders are really spooked and changing out from under you. So anyway, as a reminder, focus on the horizon. We invest in real estate, not for transactional purposes, but so that we can grow wealth in the future. Okay. So keep your eyes on the horizon, as I mentioned in the episode. And folks, if you got any value out of this show today, please go and leave us a five-star review, thoughtful comment. That is our favorite way to see gratitude and it really grows the show. So thank you in advance for that. And until next time, this has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast over and out. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.